Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening on Dying Light listeners. This is your host, Pastor Alex, and as always, we have another new episode for you, and we are continuing our journey through the Gospel of Matthew, and this week we will probably spend some time looking at just a couple of verses we might expand into the next section, uh, depending on how long I am uh, can, can be long-winded on. But we're going to look at verses 13 through 16 in Matthew chapter 5. Uh, this is still a part of the Sermon on the Mount, and we wrapped up the Beatitudes last week. And uh, the next section, uh, Christ came to fulfill the law, which is 17 through 20. So we might work through these seven verses today. Uh, I have no intentions of really going through this kind of content really fast. So we may be splitting some of these chapters going forward. Uh, and dividing them up a little bit quicker because as Jesus gets into his ministry, each of these uh, sections where he's teaching or speaking to his disciples or talking to the Pharisees, they usually always have something uh, that can be really expounded upon in greater depth. Uh, obviously, this is what we use for sermons, and this is you know where we turn for our message, and so they just usually give us on our liturgical calendar just a small snippet of a particular passage. Usually, it's you know, um, however, it's truncated in the Bible. So, for instance, they may give you the Beatitudes, those uh, twelve verses, or they might give you, uh, you know, uh, the, these next part of Matthew five is is kind of chopped up, if you would, in salt and light, 13 through 16, the fulfillment of the law, 17 through 20, anger from 21 through 26, lust, divorce, oaths. So they might take um, the the law, the anger and the lust and divorce and give you that as one topic. And then as a preacher, you can pick and say, well, I think this week we'll talk about this because that text will come around again in a few years and you'll be able to pick on a different point. So that's just schematics really but either way Matthew uh, gives us just a wonderful in-depth dive 
into the ministry of Christ and gives us so much depth and uh, and just such a great wealth of knowledge that we can just really sit and ponder a lot of these topics on. And uh, I was looking ahead to next year's liturgical calendar. We will be preaching through Matthew um, going into next year. So we have Advent, which begins um, in basically a week and a half. By the time this episode airs, let me see. I got to pull up my calendar here. This will be the 25th. So this will drop the day after Thanksgiving. Then that means that the Sunday after this episode airs on the 27th is the beginning of Advent season for the church. And then we begin a short series in our church that we will be looking at um, the person and persona of Jesus Christ. Was he a good prophet, a good teacher, or was he truly the Messiah? And so those are going to be some things we're going to kind of ponder at and we're going to unpack and see where and how that correlates to the to the message from the calendar. So I was going ahead and looking at it and I was pretty uh, surprised how the, you know, each of those weeks in Advent really lead up to the answering of that particular question. And I think it was just, you know, divine luck <laughs> that God gave me this um, topic to think about and ponder throughout this year. And then this is where the calendar is going to lead us. And so I think it worked out really well. So that will be our sermon series going into Advent. And uh, in the next year, we will pick up and start working through the Gospel of Matthew. So we will continue Matthew on the podcast because obviously this is not in the structure of a sermon, but the sermons take, you know, a different approach. Uh, they do a little bit of exposition to the text. They explain what's going on, what's happening, the, cl- the climate and culture and, and, you know, feelings, emotions, things like that. But they also drive home the point of law and gospel of distinction. And so they, they, it's a, it's a mix between the two. And interestingly enough, I've, I've really have been preaching in that style for a while because I find it to be where more people enjoy the text that they can actually understand what is happening from scripture and then they can see the um, the weight of the law upon them and then the glory of the gospel given to them. So before we get into the episode, uh, just a couple quick reminders for you, if I may. As always, if, if you've been listening to the show for a long time, we are listener supported. And so you can come and join us on Patreon and you'll get access to all of our Bible studies, sermon notes, early release podcasts and any other work that I'm working on. Once I finish my degree, I have, I have got some writing projects that I want to tackle into next year. And so you will be previous as a patron to all of the rough drafts, edits, and you'll be able to even help contribute thoughts, ideas, and directional uh, takes on the, those works. So uh, a lot of really cool incentives. Um, plus, we are going to get into next year doing some uh, you know, more personal patron only Q and a sessions or teaching sessions, things like that. But, but those are going to come, um, a little bit down the road yet. I have, I want to get through my remaining few mountains, if you would of schoolwork before I'm finished with my masters. And then I will lean into that concept pretty fully, but everything else you get immediately upon signing up. In fact, if you join us on Patreon, you'll have access to all of the previous uh, content that I have produced, and you'll be able to catch up on the Bible study. You'll actually be able to go back through and watch all of the Romans study if you decide. 
Uh, we've gone through the Gospel of Mark as well. So we've done quite a bit in that little realm, and that's all available to you for as little as a dollar a month, or you can pay a whole year up front and get it for $10 and some change, uh, or you can give more if you decide, but that is completely up to you. And you and your support are what helps keep this show moving forward, and it is without you that I couldn't do the show. So thank you so much for your contributions. Thank you for listening, and thank you for sharing this amongst your peers and family members, friends, and church members. So we've had some outstanding numbers being uh, seen in the last few weeks on on the show from the analytical side. We've I've watched a tremendous amount of downloads happen, and I've been very happy with that. And that just is you know, evident that people are thirsty for knowledge in hopes that they are coming to this show and receiving that. As always, my resources that I use come from Logos Bible Software. I've got, I've got it open on my screen now. I've got my ESV study Bible, or not my study Bible, just my ESV Bible open. I've got my Lutheran study Bible open and some other commentaries that I uh, actively use to work us through this content that we are dealing with. And there are many other things that I use this for as well, sermon prep and just basic Bible study. Uh, I've used it for grammatical studies where people have tried to use a word improperly that was from the Greek, and it's, Logos gives you that option to dig into the Greek to English translation and see all the different variations of that word and how it's been used and handled throughout the church history. So a lot of really neat little caveats that Logos has. And you can go get yourself a copy if you decide logos.com forward slash undying light. You'll get yourself a discount. If you are a new customer, you'll get some free books. If you're an existing customer, you still get a great discount. So just a um, just a piece of a reminder because, like I said, Logos has been instrumental to my ministry. And you don't have to be a pastor to use it. You can be a lay person. You can just be a, you know, a normal theological junkie, if you would, where you just love to study or get yourself into those rabbit holes and, uh, and, and dig into them, whatever it is that you find yourself in, whatever circle of life logos is, can be an appropriate fit for you. So, uh, and then as always in the show notes, there's some links to my fitness. I do want to do an episode that really just kind of talks about uh, the fitness aspect. We'll probably do something like that next year just because uh, it'll be a bonus episode. It won't be on a Friday. It'll be on a Tuesday. But I want to do it just mostly because um, fitness has become quite a important aspect to my life. Uh, eating healthy and getting up early and working out and getting my brain right, getting my mind right. And uh, that has been crucial to the last probably six or seven months here for me. And I think sometimes we as Christians can brush that aside and think that, wow, I don't have to worry about that. That's superficial or, you know, I, people are going to see me as being prideful or, or whatever. I don't work out for them. I don't give a hoot and a holler about them. My goal is to better myself, be healthy for myself, and be able to keep up with my two kids who are just absolutely rambunctious. So uh, in a great way, that is. So without further ado, let us dig into the text for today. We're going to look at these first uh, couple of verses first on the salt and light, and then we will unpack those and see where time leads us, if we can get into the fulfillment of the law. I know that that text may be a little bit longer, so in terms of what content we can pull out of it, but let's see where time leads us. So verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, 
But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no good. It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket or put it on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. All right, so real quick here, uh, it's just a couple of verses that he gives us in this teaching. Again, remember, the Beatitudes uh, just wrapped up here, and now he turns after he says that rejoice and be glad, your reward is great in heaven. For, they, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And then he goes on to say, you are the salt of the earth if the salt has lost its taste. And so this whole uh, you know, sermon, if you would, is a continuous preaching from Christ. And it's just one thing after another. Because what he's doing is essentially asserting the, the conditions of the new heavens and the new earth, the reality of the new heaven and the new earth, but also the conditions and reality that the world faces today. And we, we see him just go and hammer on these topics, and they don't seem at surface level to have any sort of connection with each other. However, if we unpack it properly, we will see how all of these are interwoven to basically usurp the traditional pharmaceutical teachings that were going on in this time period. Jesus is now asserting that these people who believe are the salt of the earth. So let's look into this a little bit closer. Uh, For these few verses, Jesus commands his disciples to be salt and light. In the rest of the sermon, he will spell out specific ways to which they can fulfill this call. Uh, And we'll see how you can deal with anger, lust, divorce, oaths, uh, retaliation, loving your enemies, giving to the needy, the the, uh, establishment of the Lord's prayer, fasting, do not be anxious, judging others. And so just the, you know, each and every one of these little sections um, in the next few chapters really are the ultimate fulfillment or the conclusion uh, and understanding of how you should be the salt and the light in the world. So uh, the salt is not, you know, something you throw on some meat to make taste better, but this is... uh, essentially how they are to be useful. Uh, salt is, is used in, in so many things from baking to seasoning to all sorts of stuff. This is how Jesus is commanding his disciples to live their life. You should be as useful as salt is. And, and notice how he says, if it is no longer good for anything, if it's lost its saltiness, it should just be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So if the salt has lost its taste throw it out. It is no good. And that is exactly how Christians are to be because you are to be this salt. You are to be useful. And if you are no longer useful, if you no longer choose to be useful, then you should be thrown out. Uh, It's a little harsh, but that's the reality of, of the equation here. But we also see too, um, we have to understand hopefully the, the crux of time that Christ has given us it is not just that when you are grow older, because you know salt and foods will expire over time, and if salt isn't used within a period of time, uh, it will no longer be 
uh, useful, and so it should be thrown out. And some people have looked at this to be a means by which we should uh, cast away the elderly or those who are unable to actually do any sort of good works or anything like that and be useful for the greater good of society. But that's not what the text is getting at. This isn't saying that you have to be a young, vigorous, and in-shape person in order for you to be useful. Your usefulness can come in so many different avenues. And and I see it in my church. I've got people uh, all over the age spectrum uh, from the 90s down to you know young kids in our church. And so we've got a large variety of ages, and each of them provides something to the church, even if it's just a, you know, a friendly smile and and an ear for them to listen or wisdom for them to share. They all have a purpose and a use in the church. And for the, for the younger folk, it's to help maintain the church, to fix the issues, uh, you know, with the building or anything like that. It's to help run the council. It's to help ensure the church lasts for another generation. And so everybody in my church in particular, has a particular usefulness. And so they are all fulfilling their need to be salt. I have yet to come across anybody being in the church that is not useful, in my church at least. And so I don't have to cast them out. (laughs) You know, like I said, it's kind of harsh language, but this is the reality of the text. Because you can take these people who... Uh, would no longer be useful, and you can you can give them the gospel again and over and over and over again, in hopes that they will they will retain their usefulness. They will finally come back and be like, I I get it, I see what I need to do. Christ has given me the heart now to do this. I want to serve Christ, and then they become useful again. And that's the interesting notion. Salt won't it doesn't in and of itself have the ability to. Um, come back to its saltiness. It, it cannot retain its flavor. Once it's done, it's done. But with people, God is long-winded and long patience, and he shows us great mercy. Even when we walk away from this, this journey that he has called us to, even when we neglect or, re, or from most of it reject the community of the Christian body, God is still long-enduring, and he is very, very very patient with us. And so there is the opportunity to come back. You don't have to necessarily be thrown out for good. But I would hopefully like to add maybe a different view or understanding to the throwing out, right? Because the text tells us that this is based upon salt and becoming usefulness. Humanity will not benefit as salt or or the disciples become useless. One might as well throw them out and be trampled underfoot. And it's not that... We should just cast anybody out for any particular reason, but we should be very, very, very observant of what is going on with that particular person. And I don't think it's beneficial for the Christian body to just determine whether or not somebody is no longer useful or uh, is lost essentially their, their ability to help the church. We leave that to Christ who prunes the branches and cuts off those that are no longer producing good fruit. That doesn't mean that once you stop doing works, if you reach an older point in your life where you're unable to do good works, it doesn't mean that you will be cut off just because you're no longer able to do it. What it means is you no longer believe in the gospel. That is when you become useless. When you stop believing in the gospel, you are no longer useful to the church. That's the reality. 
You can be useful to the church in so many caveats simply by believing in the gospel. But when you stop believing, that is when your flavorfulness, your saltiness (laughs) uh, is no longer salty. Uh, You might be salty, but in a negative fashion. You are no longer a believer. You have uh, rejected the gospel and walked away from its promises. So that is what Jesus is getting at. And I hope maybe that might help uh, explain it just a little bit better for you. Let's move on to verse 14, the light of the world. Uh, light is a universal symbol that is beneficial to people. Jesus, the light of the world, called on his followers to fulfill that function for the word, uh, for the world. And I made this note in my sermon, or maybe it was in the Bible study yesterday, either one, uh, on how we, oh, it was in the sermon. And I made the comment about how the, you know, light in this world, this incredibly dark world is you. And I, you know, pointed to my congregation, you are that light. You are the one that can stand on the hill and be a beacon of hope. And what do you do? You draw people to Christ because Christ is the ultimate light of the world. And it is him giving you that light that makes you the light of the world. Jesus says, you are the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Basically, it's like this. If you have the promise of the gospel, how could you go into your house and conceal it and never speak of that promise? How can you conceal that and never share the benefits with other people? He even says in verse 15, nor do people put a lamp and put it under a basket or on a but they put it on a stand and it gives light to the whole house. You cannot be hidden. If you are a believer in Christ, it will be known. If you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins, rose from the grave, and is ascended to heaven, he is Lord and, and creator and all of those other wonderful names assigned to him, Emmanuel, Prince of Peace, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, all those things, if you believe that, then you can't be hidden from the rest of the world. You will make an example of that by loving your neighbor. And Jesus uses this this analogy here in verses 14 and 15 to assert that if you are the light of the world, in fact, you can't be hidden because people don't just take wonderful light and put it under a basket. Why would you take a lamp and conceal it? No, you want to put it on a table and you want it to give light to the whole house. That's why in most houses, lights are generally fixated in the middle of the room because from the ceiling, it has the ability to reach the greater circumference of the room. That's why when you put a lamp in, you want to put it in a position in the room that's going to give the most light for the room. Light is a wonderful tool that has been given to us, and it's very beneficial in so many aspects, whether it is from the simple creation of fire from way back when to the electricity that we use today. Augustine says this, By the world must be understood, not the heavens and the earth, but the men who are in the world or love the world. And that is the function of the world here in this particular text. You are the light of the world. It's not speaking to the heavens and earth, but most, but more to the men who are in the world and love the world. You are the light to that darkness. The men in this world love their sin. They love their darkness. They want to live in that sinful state. But yet you come along and you shine a light on that sin and 
And sometimes you can you have the ability through Christ to uh, have that person freed from their sinful state. And other times they will hate you and revile you and neglect and, and turn on you and even possibly persecute or kill you. That's just the reality that we face, right? Because not everybody is going to accept the promise of the gospel. But you can go along as being the light of the world and share that with as many people as you can. That is what being the light of this world is. Sharing hope to those who seem hopeless. It is sharing hope to those who otherwise would have no hope. And so that's what you are. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You are the hope bringer. Because you have a promise, a gift that has been given to you freely. And this uh, understanding of the gospel surpasses all knowledge. It It is something that is completely contradictory to the world and your ability to share this with others should be the whole purpose and meaning behind your life and your ministry. And by ministry, I use the word, whether you're a standard lay person or somebody who actually uh, preaches in a church, your ministry is to those around you, your family, your friends, your church members, your colleagues, all of that, any person you come into contact with on a regular basis is considered your neighbor and you should be the light in their dark world. So that wraps up the salt and light, pretty straightforward text um, that uh, Jesus gives. I I do want to look at verse 16 really quick here. Um, This concept of good works, Jesus urges his disciples to do good works for the people of this world to see. Luther says this, what Jesus says or what Jesus calls good works here is the exercise, the expression, and the confession of the teaching about Christ and faith, shining in the real job of believing. Shining is the real job of believing or teaching, by which we also help others believe. So your good works are demonstrated in your love and compassion for your neighbor, but more importantly, they are the confession of your faith in Christ to that neighbor. That is the greatest gift that you could give another person. That is the greatest work you can ever do for another person is share the gospel with them. You you can help them carry milk and their groceries and help them paint a house and help them mow their yard and take down a tree and do all these great laborious intensive works. But if you don't share the gospel, you're not fulfilling the works that Christ has called you to do. Fulfillment of the gospel is the greatest work. So to wrap up these verses, words without deeds are like salt that has become useless or like a lamp that has been put under a desk. The words we speak in praise of our Heavenly Father need to support our deeds. Jesus wants us to witness both works uh, by words and by deeds, even as God bears witness that he is the Father when he calls us his children. So, interesting text these few verses and I've seen them taken out of context numerous times and I've seen them twisted and manipulated numerous times. And my interpretation of these, you know, from a Lutheran perspective may in fact, um, be different than what you've heard or grown up under. And that's fine. You don't have to, uh, adhere to everything I say, but I do appreciate the fact that you've given me the opportunity to, uh, speak to you through this show in hopes that I can teach you and, you know, 
draw your mind to a different way of looking at the text. And and I've really kind of made that a uh, paramount in my sermons of late where I'll make, you know, general statements and I'll say, you know, I've this is how I've I've seen this text used, but I want to maybe apply a different way to read the text or a different way to understand the text. And I think that's really gone over well because sometimes you, you know, the congregants will have heard this text before and they hear the general synopsis given about a text, but they don't often hear some of the, you know, different angles that the text can be taken into or understood from. And so I've been doing that lately and I think that's been fairly uh, successful. And uh, especially with this past Sunday where we did a text on the eschatology and we looked at Luke chapter 21 and the temple being destroyed. So that was a great text to unpack in hopes that the, you know, people sitting there yesterday would see that Jesus is talking about both and what I mean by that is, is he's speaking of the temple being destroyed, which is a prophecy he's giving uh, in this time period shortly before his cap, his arrest and, and death. But this is a prophecy he gives that comes fulfilled in 70 AD when Rome besieges Jerusalem. And both, the both being, this is the prof, uh, prophecy about the temple, the prophecy also about the actual end of times. And so it's, it's the, you know, foretelling of, a, of an event to which it will foreshadow a greater event. It's kind of interesting how those hops happen. But Jesus is giving us those two pieces. I'm speaking to you about an event that will happen, but there will also be a greater event that will be like this event that I'm speaking to you of. And so we see how that really, as we will get to Matthew later, how we really unpacks that for us and how we can see that he's not just speaking in terms of the immediate destruction of the temple, which will happen in a few short years of his ministry. But he's also speaking to the actual great and terrible day of the Lord where he will shatter the skies and return. So that's a whole other topic. We'll get into all that, you know, in probably a few months by the time we get to Matthew 24 and 25. So let us, uh, it's uh, got 29 minutes on the show. I've only been speaking for a while. So let's dig into these next texts few verses. Uh, if I so happen to go on a rabbit hole, I'll try to refrain a little bit. If I find that this is going to be, you know, longer, I might uh, revisit this next week, but we'll see here. So verse 17, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Let's just pause here. This verse itself might take us a few minutes to work through. So uh, the Law and the Prophets, this is how we would uh, assess and assert uh, the entirety of the Old Testament. All of the Old Testament is is broken down into, uh, into the Law and into the Prophets. And there is the historical nature in the Old Testament. We have the historical books, and they include Joshua, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah. Uh, Esther, those are all historical books in the Old Testament. The law would be the Torah, the first five books that Moses wrote. Those are the law. and they often, They're either called the Torah, the Pentateuch, or uh, the law of Moses. And that is where we see law. And then we have all the prophets that come in. And those will include Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and all the minor prophets as well. And so when Jesus says, uh, I did not come to abolish 
those, Jesus is asserting that he is the fulfillment of all that is written about him in the law and the prophets. He is the the completion of that. He is the fulfillment of that. He is fulfilling all of the prophecy. And again, this is uh, another kind of segue to a prophetic understanding of his death that he will fulfill the law perfectly. He keeps all of the law perfectly. We should also make note too that when Jesus is talking about law and prophets, he's not talking about the 600 and some laws that Moses turned around and gave to Israel, even though Jesus was very easily able to fulfill all that. The fulfillment of the law is the Mosaic law, the initial Ten Commandments, and keeping those ensured that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and he keeps those perfectly. And so he does not come to abolish or do away with, but he comes to be the fulfillment. And this is an interesting topic to get into because we have to understand the purpose and premise of Jesus. With Christ, does the law go away? No. With Christ, the law is completed in him. He is the fulfillment of them. So he didn't abolish it. They haven't been removed. The earth has not yet been destroyed. And so the law still has an effect. And what the law does today is it drives one to the realization of their sinful state. It draws them to the acknowledgement that they cannot save themselves. There is no righteousness in them. All the law can do is show you your sin. And then because you're a sinner shows you the penalty to that sin, which is death. So the law reveals your death through your sin. That's exactly what the law does. However, with Christ and the gospel being the fulfillment of the law, we have been given the promise that because we can't fulfill the law, it is Christ who did it for us. And he has taken our sin upon himself, as Paul will write, that he became sin, not knowing sin, but became sin. He then died on the cross. And so his death on the cross was the abolishment of all of the sin of all people of all time. Now we can get into the argument of atonement theories and all that, but from the Lutheran perspective, Jesus Christ died for the sins of all mankind through all time. His death was sufficient to cover it. However, we have the acknowledgement that Christ doesn't freely give that out to everybody. It is not a universal giving. It's a universal uh, covering, if you would, but only those who believe in Christ, those whom Christ has predestined, those whom the Father has given him, those are the, the elect, those are his people, those are who believe. We know that not everybody will believe, and so we know that even though the, the death of Christ was sufficient for them, then we know that the, their sins would have been forgiven had they been given faith to repent. But they didn't. They were hardened in their hearts by their own sinful state and their own selfish desires that they have gone off and uh, rejected the gospel. So uh, let's uh, pause at verse 17 because I figured it would take us a few minutes just to kind of look at that just very crux of it. And, and, and I kind of alluded to a little bit of what 18 we'll get into for next week, but we'll revisit 17 and do a quick recap next week uh, and then we'll finish up the section and then if, depending on time, we'll probably group uh, the next few sections together in an episode, Anger, Lust, and Divorce. But uh, we'll see how time gives us 
Uh, I try not to go over about 35 or 36 minutes on these shows just so that way they're easy for you to grab, listen to quickly, and get on with your day. So that is going to wrap this show. This uh, episode will air the day after Thanksgiving. I hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving. By the time this one drops, the Saturday, which is the day after this one airs, uh, will be my family's Thanksgiving because to this particular day that it drops, we're taking the family out to see uh, Disney on ice. So uh, everybody's traveling on Thursday. We're going all out on Friday. And then on Saturday, I'm cooking a turkey on the smoker and then some ribs. And we're going to have a big shindig at our house. I'm very excited for it. So that's that, ladies and gentlemen. Make sure you get to church on Sunday and kick off Advent season in a glorious fashion. I pray that God will continue to pour out his mercy and wisdom upon his people in this coming season and that Christ is revealed in your church to the utmost glory that he deserves. Until next week, ladies and gentlemen, have a wonderful week. God bless. We'll see you all later. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed. And it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.